As a thankful recipient of many, many skincare products over the years, I've learned to discern what is naturally actually activating my skin to rebalance and recalibrate on its own. That's what your skin is meant to be doing, and it keeps getting disrupted by all these choices that we make. So, when the founder and creator of Herbal Face Food reached out to me, I was all ears. I didn't know why at first. It turns out that Herbal Face Food is the most potent antioxidant skincare line on the market today, period. The raw plant ingredients in each of their products are never processed, never manipulated with synthetics or emulsifiers. These anti-aging botanicals are combined with the most precious plant concentrates, and they have changed my skin. Here's how. I'm going to talk about two of the products, the Herbal Face Food Serums and the Cream. The serums contain powerful phytoenzymes and antioxidants. These are activated and infused into your tissues. They hydrate and increase the resiliency of your skin, and they feel like they're plumping up your face. I use Serum 1 daily. I use Serum 2 when I'm tired and I need extra firming for my skin. And I use the X, which is also known as the Cure, for a small patch of rosacea that flares up every now and again, which you cannot see because of these products. When you feed your skin with herbal face food, you will feel real live ingredients at work. An activating flush, an invigorating tingle, some warmth, all of these are evidence of your skin healing at the cellular level and years of damage reversing. The cream is the most potent moisturizer I've ever tried, and I've tried them all. I live in the high desert. This cream contains 102 of the world's most powerful anti-aging botanicals and is also the world's first and only edible SPF <laughs> with a protection rating of SPF 50+. Plus. And this is accomplished 100% by plant power. And you can expect intense hydration, soothing for your tired skin. You can expect to see inflammation calmed and rebuilding of elasticity so your complexion looks and feels more smooth, and more radiant. Herbal face food is not plant-based. It's plant-powered. It has the highest rating on the ORAC anti-aging scale. ORAC means oxygen radical absorbance capacity. I never knew what that meant before. Highest, over 30 million on that scale. By contrast, vitamin C in skincare rates under 100,000. Herbal face food is using all post-consumer recycled materials and packaging. They use glass and aluminum, which is super easy to recycle as well. The products and packaging are 99% free of plastics. They contain no ingredients that involve the destruction or harm of any plant, animal, or marine life. These are 100% plants only, these products. These active concentrates are coming from the seeds, the fruits, the leaves, or the flowers of the plants only. These products have been a complete revolution for me. I know that you will love the way your skin looks and feels after using it even for just a day or two. And the best part is that Herbal Face Food has offered us, you, my community, a code to receive 20% off forever, ever. The code is capital E-L-E-N-A 20. Once again, that's my name in all caps, ELENA2020. The site is herbalfacefood.com. The code is all caps ELENA20. It's not just your first purchase, it's any purchase. You will love these products, and I am so grateful 
herbal face food for the change that you have made in my life. Thank you. Welcome to the Practice You podcast. My name is Elena Brower. Together, we'll explore and enjoy content and conversations around mastering transitions. In our relations, our wellness, our careers, our families, and especially in our missions and visions. You are invited to learn and love and listen with me. Welcome to Practice You. Welcome back to the podcast. I have with me today a friend who's become a friend in the last couple of years. She is an impressive teacher, a workshop facilitator, speaker, writer, mentor, a philanthropist, meditation instructor. You will find her at Meditation Pusher. Yes, on Instagram. Her name is Alicia Mathlin. I am so excited to have you here today. Thank you. Oh, Elena, thank you so much for inviting me to share with your audience. I, I it truly feels like a warm hug. <laughs> That's the best. I want to give our listener a little bit of a journey into you. Sure. Um, you yeah. can also find this if you want to follow along our listener at aliciamathlin.com and I'll spell it for you. It's A-L-I-C-I-A-M-A-T-H-L-I-N. Your website opens up on your homepage to a picture of you as a little kid. We would have been the best of friends. <laughs> You also had glasses like I did. Yep. <laughs> you were a quiet kid with a nose and a book most of the time. Yeah. Around age eight, we diverged. You became a full throttle extrovert. Your parents put you in a French immersion. When you were 13, you volunteered at the Boys and Girls Club in your area. You realized that giving back was always going to be a part of your life. We reconverged there. You went on to study international business and secretly fell in love, secretly fell in love with global economics. You crazy girl. <laughs> I love that. No, I love this. This is, a, this is a mind that I want to know. You studied Mandarin and actually your Mandarin teacher at the time told you, I hate this, that he appreciated your positive attitude and grit, but that you should drop his class and take Spanish. Yeah. <laughs> Is this guy still alive? <laughs> I mean, I think so, because uh, he had that special live forever vibe about him. But um, <laughs> but yeah, that was the last time I let someone tell me what I couldn't do. <laughs> Gosh, so exasperating. Yeah. Late 20s, you came to the realization that you'd built your life on other people's expectations. So you set about rebuilding your life on your own terms. You... Yeah. This is interesting. We also converge here. We You found professional success in the luxury industry in Toronto, in London, and in Paris. First of all, I could totally see you like walking around with a gorgeous bag. <laughs> you know, the really nice shoes. I could see, see us walking together, Elena. <laughs> oh, damn it, yes. Yes. Going to the shows. Oh, would you die? I would. Yes, I would. I would still do it. I would too. I, if we I would ever get be, a chance to go to a show, you're coming with me as my date. That's it. I would be there with bells and whistles on, like just ready. So, so ready. <laughs> but the coolest part 
And I'll share with you a little bit uh, about my story because there was an exact same moment when I was in Italy sitting in my kitchen. Uh, at the time, I was an assistant to the designer for Joan and David and sort of liaising with all the seamstresses and so forth in Italian. But I sat there one Sunday and I was like, this is not my, this is not my beautiful life. This is not my beautiful apartment. Mm. <laughs> and Who does this belong to? to? <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it's not mine. And and you wanted to help people. This is where you came to the same realization. You wanted to help people and you didn't know where to start. So you volunteered as an ambassador for the Canadian Women's Foundation and personally moved two women out of poverty and helped raise funds to do the same for other women. Yeah. This is where I want my listener, our listener, please perk up your ears at any moment in your life. You can take the fork in the road that is much less traveled and mm -hmm. actually do something that lights you up beyond recognition. You say that you were finally getting closer to what made you happy. You could feel it. And you began studying holistic nutrition and meditation and yoga, and Eastern philosophies, and you found so many answers to your own life's questions and realized that you had stumbled on your calling. How old yeah. were you around this time? Late 20s, probably? Yeah, I'm going to say my late 20s. My my life had kind of imploded just before. <laughs> and I really started leaning into answers in places that I had never thought to look. Mm. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. How old were you when you created Meditation Pusher? So that was probably around like my 35th birthday. And that was something that um, really came out of an understanding that you cannot really help people change any aspects of their lives until they understand that they have the capacity to change their mind. But I wanted mm -hmm. to make it really cool. <laughs> You're doing because... that. <laughs> Thank you. I mean... I grew up with hip hop and I grew up in a way that was, you know, very much hustle and grind. And mm. I just felt that there wasn't a voice that I related to in the space. And there were so many great voices out there, but I knew that like my contemporaries and the people that I spent time with couldn't necessarily relate as easily as I was through all that research. <laughs> yeah. To all the white people in this space. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's so interesting because I didn't think of it that way. Um, except when I first started out, um, I was very much trying to like mirror the like California vibe and like the like the greens and the leaves. And my husband was like, babe, you're not a white girl from California. Like you're very downtown. Like, <laughs> like you're very downtown. Your favorite colors are black, white, and gold. Like you listen to Jay-Z for your morning start. Like, this is not you. Why are you trying to mirror this? And yeah. I realized that it was the only version model. that I knew. Yeah, it was the only model that I knew at the time. Yeah. Yeah. This is why I wanted to talk to you because you are successfully, like flyingly successfully providing another model for women of color in this space. And I could not be more grateful. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I, I didn't necessarily set out with like a specific audience. I just really wanted it to feel 
more accessible, more um, fun, perhaps, dare I say, (laughs) and definitely more like energetic. And like, this isn't just about being calm. This can be about performance. This can be about your capacity to deal with your life. This can be about transforming habits. Like there's so many amazing aspects to meditation that we're just not talking about. And if I can take you there, and if you want to come with me, Let's go. What? <laughs> mm, mm. Yeah. The the website for all of this is aliciamathlin.com, as we previously said. So if you want to start to look up where she's working and how she's working, this is a great moment to do that. You really sweetly indicated to me that you dated your soulmate in high school. You separated for 11 years. He went ahead and got married, had two kids, and then you found each other again. And you've now been married for eight years. Yeah. Yeah. Is that not the happiest damn thing? It's crazy to think about, but Ugh. he always tells me that when I was 17, I told him that I would marry him. And I like, I don't know where that confidence came from, except for the fact that I knew that he was the most special person I had ever met. Like mm. inherently good, top to bottom, like just in every way you can imagine goodness. Mm. He is that person, that embodiment. And I just, I was like you don't know this, but you're going to be mine. If not now, then later. (laughs) Wow. That's so ballsy. I love that. I love that he remembered too. That's my, that's everything. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a really nice, um, nice marriage union partnership. Mm -hmm. And it's particularly wonderful to have two great, great stepkids. I call them my daughters, but you know, technically. (laughs) No, but if you can, if you make all that work, it's, it's the best and it's the best. I almost wish I could tell like every single teenager that I know that, by the way, don't get married until you're at least 39. Oh, well, I got, I didn't want to get married. Like I, I come from a family of like everybody being divorced at least once and like sometimes twice just for good measure. And so I had no fairy tales around marriage. I was not interested in it at all. I didn't, I could care less about this Prince Charming ideal that they were shoving down our throats as kids. Like I was not interested. I was very interested in having a big, beautiful life that was my own and that I built myself. And then it just so happened that I found a partner that I believe impresses me every day, which I think is really important to uh, partnerships. Yeah, that is a really good point. Impresses me every day. Yeah. With his, just his humanity, you know, just the way he is. Yep. Yeah. I have have (laughs) something similar with the human. I want to focus on Latham for a second. She's uh, such a force for so many of us. You said in a private note to me that Latham Thomas saved your life in one two-hour call. She was in New York. You were in Paris. She never once mentioned the long-distance costs, (laughs) which is like so Latham. And she got you on the path that you're on now. Um, Yeah. If we know Latham at all, we know she went to Columbia with your husband, we're now knowing. Yeah. He called her and asked her to help you because you were becoming a shell of yourself and you've been friends ever since. Yeah. Um, talk about this shell of yourself moment, because I think our listener can probably identify with this at some stage in his or her life. For sure. Um, so, you know, 
in my late 20s, I had the big aha moment and I started down the path of meditation and, and all this kind of stuff, but I didn't quite know how to integrate it into my professional life. So I took a job in Paris, a huge project working on uh, both the Prince de Galles Hotel and the Ritz, the famous Ritz Paris, so big, big projects. Dude, um, what? Yeah, wait, like that big. Wait. Yes. Yeah. What was your, you were designing what? No, I was in procurement. So on the Place de Gal uh, side, I was uh, the lead on the on-site lead of the team that managed the money, and then uh, with the Risk Paris, I was on the starting team in terms of the procurement. And uh, some of that journey took a lot longer than we expected it to take in the beginning. But I was on the starting team before I realized I needed to go home. <laughs> so yeah, so so back to Lazenham. I'm in Paris now for about a year, and um, you know I'm doing the thing. I'm on an expat salary. I'm working, you know, 14 hour days. I'm going out every night. You know, like just you're living. I'm living it up, full throttle, full speed, um, grinding it out, and. Un peu I de was... vin rouge. <laughs> Mais toujours, ma belle, toujours. <laughs> <laughs> Mon Dieu. Uh, yes. And like, it was, it was a beautiful and wild time. And I literally burnt out because I just wasn't taking care of myself. I didn't know how to take care of myself. I didn't know how to offset the stress. Even though I had like started on this journey with these practices, I really didn't understand that they were about capacity. So I'm literally falling apart, telling my husband, I can't do this anymore, crying on the phone every time he calls. Next thing I know, Latham calls me and mm. she says, you know, let's talk about what's going on. And I start bawling. I'm like, I don't even know what's going on. I'm just not myself. I am raw. Mm. I feel like I want to quit. I want to run home with my tail between my legs. And she's like, first of all, First of you're all. not going to do that. <laughs> no. You've got it, girl. Ugh. And she proceeded to like literally talk to me about my nutrition, talk to me about how I was using my body, talk to me how I, about how I was processing my work, talk to me about like how I was grieving everyone back home. Like I didn't even know that I was actually mourning my partner, my family, because I'm very close knit with everyone. And I was, I was there alone, really. And so she was explaining to me through like this pathway around my menstrual cycle that like this, it was, it had changed because I was missing family. And like all this information, Elena, is new to me. Nobody had ever talked to me about these connections or about how much can become illuminated if we just look at what the body is doing, right? Mm, totally. So she talked, she talked me through all this. I still have the piece of paper with my teardrops on it. <laughs> and I'm writing furiously, trying to capture everything she's saying. And she said to me, just start to breathe again and find a practice that lets you burn all this out. And at the time it was running, mm -hmm. but girl, like she just, my heart exploded and I yeah. stuck it out. Like I stayed and I kept going and I, completely changed. I was healthier. I had more energy. I was more responsive, less reactive. I was, I was nicer. <laughs> okay. You know, I wasn't relying on caffeine for my brain to work. I like just all of a sudden I was a new person. And I thought like, if I can become extraordinary within the context of my own life, 
just from making these changes, other women need to know about this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was pretty I'm wild. just picturing you running through the streets of Paris. So I used to run in the Jardin de Tuileries because my apartment was right across. Yeah, it was it was a magical time. I I don't regret it, or I wouldn't change it for a thing. It was perfect and beautiful. Did you live on the Rue de Rivoli? I live on uh, Rue des Pyramides, so right at the corner of Rue des Pyramides and Rue uh, de Rivoli. Yes. Yeah. 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 Just a I'm picture, proper I'm just picturing life. it right now. I'm just yeah. picturing it right now. Oh, I could see the Louvre from my balcony. Yeah. Like it was. I mean, it was a tiny balcony, but it was my balcony in Paris, no less. Yeah, I love those. The three-inch balcony yeah. with the really fancy iron. Yeah, one hundred percent. Only your two feet can fit on it, and that's all that matters because yeah, you're there. All, yeah, you're there. Yeah. Um, Latham Thomas, ladies and gentlemen, if you don't know about her, you'll look back into the archives of Practice You and find one of my very favorite and most edifying episodes with Latham. I learned so much talking to her. Yeah, that was a great episode, Elena. I learned more too, talking, listening to it for sure. Yeah, it was so good. Racism, medical racism. Oh, medical racism. I'll say it one more time: medical racism. If you don't know about this and you're listening to us right now, we're going to get back to all the upliftment. But you need to know about medical racism, and you need to be a part of what changes around this. Can I share my own story very quickly with you about that? Of course, I'm please. sure you've Gosh. spoken to many women who have these, many black women and, and women yes. of color who, who yes. have these stories. Um, so in my late twenties, when my life kind of imploded, when I was, my body was like, we're taking you out. I was in the hospital for a week after just having like a toxic approach to life, talk, very toxic uh, relationship. My friendships weren't going so well. And, and I understand now that I was probably the common denominator in all those things. But at the time, I didn't understand any of that. So I'm in the hospital for a week. They don't know what's wrong with me. They hook me up to um, IVs. They're not letting me have any food, uh, very little water like that ice chip cup. And the doctors are coming in and they're just saying, well, we don't know what it is. We don't know why you feel this way. We don't know why there's this massive growth in your uterus, like something the size of a grapefruit. Well, we're just going to monitor it. And, you know, thankfully by grace, my mother was like, I'm sure there are tests you can do, whether it be a pelvic ultrasound, whether it be that dye test where they, you know, the MRI dye test or or there's a number of things. And please remember, we're in Canada, so you don't have to pay for these individual tests. This is part of the system, okay? So no, there's there's nobody trying to figure out how we're going to swing this, okay? My taxes pay for this, right? <laughs> and they would walk in and they would say, well, maybe it's cancer. Or like they said to my dad, like, is your daughter seeing more than one person right now? Like they wouldn't just do what was required. So after no. a week of this, my parents, no. I'm serious. No, no, no. Hold on. I do not want to just pause for a second that they would ask your father that. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm a grown professional. A grown ass <laughs> you know, woman. Grown ass woman. Um, oh and they God. were like, well, you know, like it was just, it was such a devastating experience, not just for me, but for my family as well, because people are essentially speculating without testing. 
And they're not testing because they think they already know why you're in there and they don't want to say it out loud. Oh my God. Yeah. And this, I think what people don't realize is that, you know, we think about racism in this like overt way, right? Like these, these, you know, people on television with tiki torches and, and certain flags and this kind of stuff. But what it really is, is, and I think it's ta Coates who says this, but it's really just a broader sense of compassion for one group of people and less compassion for another. And I've always held on to that sort of definition because I think we can get really caught up in like the details of what racism looks like and feels like. But I think if we can distill it down to the idea of like, who do we naturally have more compassion for? And how does that inform how we work, how we communicate, how we interact with people? the snap decisions that we make versus the people we don't hold that level of compassion for. Right. There's a a course that I'm taking called bridging differences from Mm -hmm. the edX school EDX. It's all free. You can pay Mm. for the content to keep it, but it's all free when when you're going through it. And uh, they talk about exactly this where you start to realize that you have literally more bandwidth, more, as you said, compassion for certain groups, less for other groups, and to start to try and even the playing field within yourself. Yeah. And we're all guilty of this. Like, I never want anyone to think that one group is dominant. Like, I I don't like that narrative at all. I I think we're all guilty of this to some degree or another. And Mm -hmm. the work really becomes, how do we start to notice and check ourselves, right? In the softest, most tender way. And that for me is where meditation and mindfulness comes in because we have this private training ground to be better, Hmm. to develop the skills, to go back out in the world and lean into our vulnerabilities, our more um, tender way of being without feeling like we're exposed or powerless, right? The private training ground is where I'm stuck. That's so good. That's <laughs> yeah. so good. Like yeah. for some sort of elite athlete or somebody who says, oh, I don't have time to meditate. It's like, well, if you're training your biceps and your quads and your hamstrings, Absolutely. you're not training your mind, you could think yeah. of this as that. Yeah. And and just just the simple act of taking you know, and I don't want to limit anybody by having them think that there's a time limit to this. Your practice can start so small. It can be five minutes of just quiet and gathering yourself and gathering your breath. And it can go up to 20 minutes or it can be an hour, whatever feels good and right for you. But use this place where you can turn inward and learn about yourself and learn about like your, uh, your hangups, your inherited beliefs, all this stuff with a little bit of privacy, you know, Mm. because we're social media kind of shoves everything out front and out loud. And we're starting to think that that's the way to be. And it's like, no, 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 (laughs) no. Give yourself some grace, find your way in and, and land there first and then come back out into the world as a more refined you, you know? So beautifully said. Thank you. <laughs> you 
you are also a former anger addict. <laughs> which You'll buy Red Bull. <laughs> I picked up on because so am I. I. I'm still struggling, actually, but it's getting much better. I Even through menopause, it's getting better. Yeah, oh. I, I, it's so major. Just be warned. Yeah. You've been warned. Thank you. Um, I'll, I'll making. I'm getting close. I've heard, so I'm gonna make note of that for sure. <laughs> the angel welcome back, girl. Yeah. <laughs> give give your girl a call. I will. I will. <laughs> um, what I can say is this: uh, the whole anger conversation does seriously get helped from a regular meditation practice. Yeah. So much Absolutely. easier to hold it together because you've just been watching all those angry thoughts. <laughs> yeah. And not only that, you realize that your anger is an expression of something that's not balanced in you. And when I say that, I just mean that like sometimes I didn't eat properly. And so my anger rises more quickly. Sometimes I didn't have a good night's rest. Right. And so when you're meditating on a regular basis, you get better at attending to your own needs real time. So you're not mm. delaying your self-care for the weekend or the vacation or until some list of conditions is met. You're listening to yourself every day and you're recognizing, okay, if I don't do the following, I may uh, not be as responsive as I'd like to be. I may become more reactive, right? And so we're just getting better at being ourselves, which isn't to say anger disappears. Anger is a healthy and productive emotion when you're not using it to attack other people or yourself. It's just information. If I'm angry about something, something has to change. The fact that it's just information. Yeah. So good. Yeah. Yeah. You, you were also at that sort of pivotal point in Paris. I guess this was when you were addicted to caffeine. Mm-hmm. I had Red Bull for breakfast to get out of bed, to literally walk down the street and pick up an espresso before I went to work. And then like having another espresso at lunch and then have an espresso after work so that I could go out. Dude. Yeah. <laughs> like if you took my blood, it would be dark brown. <laughs> like it was pretty intense. Well, you know, what's crazy is I was just listening to an episode of Joe Rogan where he interviewed Bartow Elmore, mm -hmm. a really great scholar who talked about where caffeine comes from among other things. Do you know where caffeine comes from? Uh, please tell me. Exactly. It's <laughs> yeah. chemically derived. It's, it's fabricated. Yeah. It's no, so frightening. It's not coffee beans. Like in some cases, it's the detritus garbage tea leaves. Yeah, absolutely. Holy that God. makes a lot of sense. I mean, it was just a really good way to escape the present moment. Yeah. Suddenly you're this like superhero who can do anything and, and get everything done and, and answer questions quickly. And it takes a long time to realize that the pace at which your life is moving because of caffeine mm -hmm. is one, unsustainable, two, really bad for your relationships, all of them, really and especially seriously. awful for your relationship with yourself. Yeah. Because you, you become so detached from your body that you don't even know what's going on anymore. You don't know if, you're, if your migraines are because there's something wrong with your brain or if it's because you just, you're in withdrawal. Like everything gets totally messed up. 
How did the whole hospital thing finally get resolved? So I just left. (laughs) I literally walked up out of there. Yeah, I was, I was frustrated. I was angry. My parents' hearts were broken. And um, the doctor who was attending to me was literally like, we don't know what it is. So they sent me home. And I went back to my life. I went back to the caffeine. I went back to eating foods that weren't nourishing for the body. I went back to overworking myself. And about a year later, exactly the same thing happened. So talk about your life speaking to you. I find myself back in the hospital. This time, the growth is bigger because <laughs> it never got attended to before. And I kind of just lived with the pain because I'm half caffeinated and half hopped up on Advil. Most of the time, you think that this is a normal way to be. And I had a different doctor. And he did all of the testing before he came and speculated to me. And he literally said to me, you are fine. You just need to change your entire life. Elena, I was like, what? I can't even <laughs> deal with this right now. That what a I, what a what a guy. What a guy. And I he, you know, I he's retired now, but I owe him my life in so many ways because he literally said to me, You are killing yourself from the inside via stress. And the only way to fix that is to find ways to deal with that stress. And he went through the list of like normal things to like tell me about your boyfriend. And I was like, well, he's awful. <laughs> it's a bad, he, so he, he went through the list. He's like, tell me about your friends. Tell me about your work. He went through everything. What a man. What, what a man. man. Yeah. And he's like, are you going to stop all of that? I'm like, I'm, I'm going to try. <laughs> and I did. I subsequently did. And I, I really want to note here that I had the means to do so. I was financially stable and balanced. And I, I always bring that up because I think a lot of people share their journeys without really sh- sharing like how it was possible to, to take a year off and find themselves or to heal themselves. And there's this strange thing, especially in like the wellness space where we kind of vil- villainize women who are ambitious and who care about their financial well-being and actually try to build a sustainable business so that they can keep doing what they love. Because none of this self-care is really possible if you can't afford it. That's the thing that we don't talk about, that they don't tell you if you, when you graduate from yoga teacher training or whatever uh, holistic nutrition school you went to. They don't teach you that you have to understand how to pay for your life and not just your bills, but your quality of life so that you don't burn out, so that you can keep doing what you do with love and care and attention. And I just, sorry, I went off on a tangent there. I just think that there's this weird thing where we we make it almost virtuous to say that we don't care about money in the wellness space. And I'm not saying that it's everything, but it is really important. And yeah, Woman, sorry. <laughs> you're, preaching, you're preaching to the converted. I cannot thank you enough for saying that because I try to teach women this. I often get shot down publicly for it. And I have Which breaks s- my heart, by the way, because it's a disservice to tell women that it's like to do what, uh, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you there. I'm just really passionate on that one. I'll take that interruption all day. Um, what I can say is it's horrifying to me to watch women take down other women 
who are simply caring about the energy of money as a tool for their own freedom and, may I add, our listener, Alicia and her husband, ready? Are you ready? Sit down. They purchased a school in Haiti as a wedding present to each other through the Pinball (laughs) Clemens Foundation. Are you sitting? Okay. That is the kind... That is the kind of work that Alicia and I get to do now. Okay. You want to begrudge me that? Or do you want to be one of the women who lifts the other women up? Do you want to be one of the women who practices the principle of compassion and care and pride even for another woman's success? Absolutely. And I, that sound. It sounds fantastic. And listen, I I really want to say this, especially to people who are emerging in this space and who are on that journey. I built a business around what I love teaching and sharing. And what it has made possible for me is things like when a woman's shelter says to me, hey, can you do a program for women coming out of abusive relationships? I can just say yes. Tell me what you need. I don't have to say, well, oh, if I do this, I can't do that. And no, no, no. I can say yes with full heart. When we started our foundation, it was the same thing. It was like all of this work and this effort and this these very clear lines around my financial well-being, creating space for others to pursue their own financial well-being and having really healthy conversations about money devoid of shame and guilt and all that weird stuff that we only seem to put in women's laps when it comes to money Hmm. allows me to do everything I want to do with an energy of ease. And I I really, really want to stress that. And I, what I love about you is that you share in that energy so well, Elena. And I really, really appreciate the permission that you give for women to say like, wait a second, what I'm offering is of value and I deserve to be paid accordingly. And this isn't about um, who gets what. And, you know, when I get requests, I just send, send out my rate card. That's it. Here's my deck. Here's, here's my costs. Here's my testimonials. Here's references. If you want to chat with other people, because I know I'm going to show up and give it my best. I know I'm going to do all of that, but All of the time and effort and expertise and experience that I have cultivated over the last decade is worth something. And I'm allowed to say that. And I'm allowed to feel that and let that take up space if need be. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Such a breath of fresh air. (laughs) Yeah. Truly. Thank you. Thank you. Or we can I, do a um, whole episode on this subject. <laughs> you know what? We will. I think we should. And we I could. love that. <laughs> oh, my God. The, yeah. the, the, the fascination that people have and the willingness, particularly that women have, to just mm-hmm. go ahead and, and take down a woman they don't even know, they've yeah. never met, is yeah. mind-blowing to me. I think that's the new power play. Like if you look at everything that's happening right now, it's a wonderful way to feel a sense of power when so much feels uncertain. And in so many ways we feel powerless. 
And so this, whether it be this cancel culture and, and this woke culture or whatever we want to call it, right? This idea where in a few strokes or a few keyboard types, we can shift the narrative on someone's life. We can shift opinion and uh, feelings. Like it's just, it's mind blowing to me, but it speaks to this broader idea that what we destroy is far more important than what we build. And I'm just not about that. I'm like, I'm not interested. I want to build, I'm interested and invested in the world that I believe we should all be a part of. So yeah, you can spend all your energy on the takedowns, the teardowns, the canceling, and so on and so forth. There's enough people doing that. I don't need to get involved. What I want to do is keep creating just a tiny space in the world that offers you something that reminds you of how special you are and how magnificent you, like you are, like every fiber of your being is beautiful and worthy of unconditional love, your own unconditional love. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about healing. Let's talk about like recognizing that, yeah, I used to be a shitty person. Like I've got my stories too, but I've grown and I've learned. And isn't that worth something? Because it's gotta be worth something for you too. You're not perfect. I'm not perfect. And let's move forward with our imperfect selves, holding hands, Walking down the streets of Paris, like, <laughs> mm. come on, let's just go right? get a little crepe with some Nutella on the street. Yeah, and this isn't bypassing, right? Like, I want to be really clear this isn't bypassing. We are all doing the work, and we all should be doing the work, whatever that work looks like for you and your life, and whatever feels good and right for you. But we have to leave space for everyone's journey, we have to. Otherwise, where is all this going? It's the question of the hour. Because if we, if folks continue on this path of negative calling out, like mm -hmm. have a conversation. Have you thought about that? Like, <laughs> talk to the person, reach out yeah. on the phone, you have their number. Yeah. If that continues, the divides will continue the rancor will grow and yeah. there is no healing happening. Yeah. And I, I feel like we are moving away from just quiet decency. Like if I have a problem with someone, I will call them up and have a conversation or I'll send them a note directly if a phone call doesn't feel right. But it would never occur to me to use the public arena as a place to air out my grievances about another person, because it feels like this one-sided, like, I just want to dump it at your feet and run. I don't want to leave space for an exchange. I don't want to hear your, uh, your journey, your context. I don't want to hear your interpretations of the things that have like, and that's just not how we should communicate. But social media has our brains rewired thinking that we're just supposed to talk out all the time, just talk out into the ether. And the reality is we're losing our way in terms of just communicating with each other. Yeah. With care and thoughtfulness. And you could be my worst enemy, but you deserve, you deserve time and space 
and enough care for us to sort it out privately and in our own time. Mm-hmm. I really appreciate that. I also really appreciate the idea to buy a school for your wedding present. <laughs> Just saying. Just want to go back, circle back to that for a moment. You know, it was that thing where we were both fairly successful. We'd already lived on our own. We had like all the pots and pans. And I just felt weird, like asking people to buy me sheets. And what we thought was a beautiful thing to do in celebration of this special day with all the people we love with us was just to say, hey, like, not only did we do this as a, as a, as a partnership, we did this in honor of this day and your presence in our lives. And everyone got like a card that they could take home. Who knows if they kept it, but that said, like, this isn't just for us. It's not just for the children who will benefit for it. It's also for you because we love you so very much. I want to talk about your foundation for a moment, because that's something I'm going to start in 2022 for myself. Very cool. Very cool. (laughs) Yeah, no, like, best thing I've done. We've done. I'm sure we have more than one listener right now who would be extremely interested to learn how that process unfolds. And I know I have accountants and I can ask them and I'll get it done no matter what. But I would love to hear from your perspective how that works, exactly the function of the foundation and how proud you are. Oh, so (laughs) we... Um, we were very fortunate to be part of a, a program with an organization here in Toronto called Toronto Foundation. And what they decided to do was this thing called Vision 2020. And it was about getting all these young people together and looking at philanthropy kind of remixed, right? Like, what does philanthropy mean for a new generation? What does it mean for people who don't look the way old philanthropists look, like, you know, the monocle and the, the, the blue blazer with the gold buttons, right? Like, what does it look like if you uh, are going to show up in your Nikes, right? <laughs> and so the monocle, like, that's the first thing I picture is like the monocle. It's so funny. Right, because when I thought of philanthropy, when I was growing up, it was so far removed from my life, from the way I had been raised from like the scarcity mindset that I was kind of brought up with around money and stuff like that. So like the idea of giving back was just not even on my radar. And so when this opportunity came up to what was essentially do an MBA program in philanthropy. So we went through training to learn how to be better philanthropists, learn how to be the kind of philanthropists that were comfortable with not just giving money, but also giving away our power and privilege, right? Because if you're in that role, you may have some. (laughs) And what's your comfort level with that? But also giving platforms to other people. It was this beautiful program. We arrived at the end of this two years and we had a foundation, which was like mind-blowing because, you know, where my husband and I came from, there's just not a lot of people who have stories like ours who end up with a foundation. And so we decided that the foundation would really be about funding existing organizations that were already doing the work, that were already established, no strings attached, here you go, do what you will with it, right? Because that's part of the old philanthropy model, this idea where you're just supposed to say, here's the money, but here's how you use it, here's what we think is best, without even talking to the people who are on the ground doing the work. So we decided that our foundation would really be about 
First, finding organizations that were providing meditation and mindfulness training to young people in underserved communities. That was that's that's our mission. We want to just make sure that these beautiful modalities that have transformed our lives are available to anyone that needs them. Plain and simple. And the people who are already out there doing the work, how can we support you? We're not we're here with the money. You tell me everything you need and I'm going to do my best to get it to you. I don't want to tell you how to do things. You already know. You're on the ground. You're doing the work, right? Um, and so that felt really, really important to us to be really, really clear that we were just like support. It's not our thing. It's your thing. We're support. And it's just been such a beautiful process. We're, we're definitely, definitely still in like our infant stages, but it just, I've learned that you're not really successful unless you're giving back. And I knew that when I was 13 and I walked into the boys and girls club and I said, what can I do to help? Mm. And so every, every step of my journey, whatever success I've had, my giving has been proportionate. It's always been important to me. And I think that that, you know, when you, you know, when you do yoga teacher training and you, you learn about the koshas and you go through all the steps and after you find bliss, you discover, at least in my training, that service is the final expression of bliss. That means something to me. And however I can show up in that way, that's what I'm going to do because this life has been started out really ordinary and it got really extraordinary. And I, however I can share that, however I can uplift other people. And I say this really aware of the fact that so many of us think we look at our lives and we think, I just don't have it in me. I just, I don't have the money. I don't have the time. I don't have the energy. And what I want to offer to everyone listening is that whatever you can do is good enough. And don't get caught up in what you think it should be. Just really, really hold on to that smallest thing. Even if it's, you know, your girlfriend had a baby and you make a lasagna and put it in her freezer for her. Like, <laughs> Dude, right? that's a seriously generous act. I'm just saying. Right? Like, that's the, that's the real deal. Or you come over and you say, hey, I'll watch the kids for a minute while, or I'll take your kids and they can have a play date with my kids. Like, giving isn't just these big gestures or organizations. And it can also be whatever little bit of kindness we can share with each other every day. Mm. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's wonderful to hear you speak on this because it's so, um, it's never been more important than it is right now. Yeah. These small acts. They do, they do like small acts do a friendship make. Absolutely. Do a life make. (laughs) I've built many friendships like that unconsciously, subconsciously. Yeah. Yeah. Those are the strong ones. Absolutely. Like even me working on these incredible hotel projects in Paris was because I shared an umbrella with a woman in Rome on a rainy day. Yes. No. No. I'm serious. Oh, it was it was pouring rain, and I had this big, beautiful um, umbrella, as one does in Italy. And um, 
And I saw this woman kind of like in the, uh, in a, like an entryway, just kind of trying to stay out of the rain. And she was kind of doing that, like, I'm getting wet dance. And I went over to her and I'm like, you know, if you've got to go somewhere, let's share this umbrella. Right. And she Did jumped you say the, in Italian. Oh gosh, no, I wish I okay, had, I wish I, I mean, I said buongiorno, but <laughs> buongiorno. That was, that was, yeah, that's even better. I should have said it like that. And I said, yeah. you know, like wherever you like, well, let's just walk together. And we started walking and talking and she, you know, she told me she had this boutique procurement firm for luxury hotels in London and Paris. And we had lunch together. Then she invited me to a party that night. I went to the party and we promised each other we would stay in touch. And we stayed in touch via email for over a year. She came to Toronto. We hung out. She left. And then one day she sent me an email and she said, do you, do you speak French? And I said, yes. And she said, would you move to Paris? I said, yes. <laughs> and she said, do you want to run a project for me? Because I can't be in Paris. And I said, yes. yes. <laughs> oh, my God. And like, you know, a few months later, visa, like, you know, travel, tourist visa, work visa, pardon me, in hand and, and you know, travel ticket. And off I went. I cannot even handle that. I'm so glad that our listener got that story at the end of this chat to learn how important it is to just be nice. Oh, yeah. It's, it is, has an exponential effect on your life, a ripple yeah. effect of so much beauty and joy. And, and my life is a living example. And that's all I try to do every day is just to share with people like, hey, look what happens. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. Just what a joy to, to talk to you about all these things. This is such a beautiful journey. Oh, that you've been thank on. You. Thank you for inviting me to share it with you, Elena. It means a lot. And you've been a part of my journey as well. I, I want you to know, and I think it's really important that people understand that if you find women that you can learn from, even if you've never met them, because Art of Attention was the first book that was put in my hands when I was transitioning and going through changes in my life. And to be talking to you and like emailing you and DMing you and sharing things with you, like, you know, as homies all these years later, no, for <laughs> it's real. just mind blowing for me. It's mind blowing. And I, I, yeah, yeah. Wow. That just yeah. took my breath away. Thank yeah. God for Erica Jago. I just want to give her a shout out because her design sensibility is what made that book what would even remotely speak to you. Absolutely. And I, I, I'm glad you said it because the aesthetics in that book, like the beauty that you wrap around everything that you do, that you ensure is within what you do, just really resonates with me because I, I just think that there is time to make things beautiful. And, and in this rushed way of being, we sort of lose sight of the fact that, no, we should slow down. We yeah. should slow down. Yeah. There's beauty everywhere. Let's find it. <laughs> let's find it and let's celebrate it. Yeah. Yeah. And make more of it. Mm. Yeah. I'm so thankful that you took the time to be here and talk to us today. Thank you for having me, Elena. It's been truly yeah. my pleasure. Thank you. AliciaMathlin.com. Look for her on Instagram at Meditation Pusher. Is there any other one? I think there was... Your foundation one, no? Um, meditation pressure is probably the best place to find me, connect with me. 
interact with me and become my homie too, man. (laughs) (laughs) It's a good thing. Yeah. To be a homie to this human. She is of the finest caliber. I cannot say enough. Thank you again, Alicia Mathlin. It's a pleasure to call you friend. Oh, I'm honored. Thank you, Elena. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, AG1, for sponsoring the Practice You podcast. My listener, you've been hearing me talk about AG1 for some time. I think I've been taking it daily for almost three years. 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food-sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens in one scoop in the morning. The best way to start your day supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and longevity, the conversation of the moment. The taste is delicious. It's suitable whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free. It contains less than one gram of sugar. No nonsense in here at all. It's a multivitamin that your body will actually absorb. If you are wanting to make an investment in your health and longevity, AG1 costs you less than $3 a day, far less expensive, and definitely less time-consuming than many different supplements. Reclaim your health, arm your immune system with convenient, delicious daily nutrition. And since you listen to the Practice You podcast, Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of immune-boosting vitamin D and 5 free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is go to athleticgreens.com forward slash Elena. Once again, that's athleticgreens.com forward slash E-L-E-N-A. Take ownership of your health, my listener. And thank you, Athletic Greens and AG1.